Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of the Question. Some of my listeners may remember my interview with Dr. Rhett Bergeron a while back, mentioning the Faith and Medicine Conference that was coming up at the time. Well, that conference took place a couple of weeks ago. I must say the speakers were well chosen and I learned a lot, which says a lot because I consider myself fairly well versed in this area. My guest today was the opening speaker at the conference and really helped set the tone for the next two days of discussion. Reverend Chris Strevel pastors in Buford, Georgia at Covenant Presbyterian Church. He's married, the father of five, and has attained the status of grandpa. Visitors to calcedon.edu may recall seeing a number of articles that Chris has authored in the past. Chris, thanks for joining me today. It is my privilege, Andrea. I'm more than happy to be here. Very good. Now, the reason I was eager to have you on the podcast was because your opening talk, which quite frankly, 9 a.m. on Friday morning is probably not the most coveted position (laughs) as people are still coming in and maybe are late. But you began the discussion of health and medicine, setting it all within a biblical framework. And as you put it throughout your talk, Some of this was good news. Some of this also might be considered bad news. So the question that I've posed today may seem strange to people, but I'll let you answer it. Is it biblical to pursue health? Or maybe looking at it another way, must we live out our faith in both sickness and in health? So what do you say? Well, I certainly like your your second way of putting it. I think, uh, quoting from our marriage vows in sickness and in health, certainly we may pursue health. Uh, one of God's glorious uh, works and names, even he says, I am the Lord who heals you. Uh, our Lord Jesus was the great physician. At the same time, I, I think we have to appreciate biblically the fact and take our theology seriously that we live in a fallen world. And since we live in a fallen world, health is not always possible. And in many instances, health is not advisable. And we can't even, we can't see all the whys and the wherefores of that because we don't know the secret things that belong to the Lord. But I do think in our pursuit of good health, whether it's our personal measures that we take or they're more preventative or you know, active doctoring of diseases, it's got to be done against the backdrop of the Lord may not want me healthy right now. And so just like we pray, Father, may your will be done. We pray and should mean the same thing in our pursuit of health. Okay, but you said good health isn't always preferable or advisable, whatever the words you used. I'm sure a lot of people were like, what? Oh, this guy wants us to be sick. (laughs) Well, no, I, I don't want to be sick any more than anybody else does, but I, I do think we have to take seriously that the Lord has purposes and things that he teaches us in sickness that are better and deeper even than the things that he often teaches us in health. I mean, the classic example of this 
is in Second Corinthians. You know, Paul talks about it in Second Corinthians twelve, where uh, he asked the Lord three times to take away this. I think what he describes in Galatians four as a temptation in his flesh. And then he talks to the, you know, says, hey, if, if it would have been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. So I think the apostle did have some physical malady that he asked the Lord, take away, take away, take away. And the Lord's answer every time was no, no, no. I, I think you'll serve me better in this either discomfort or maybe it was embarrassing. If it had to do with his eyes or maybe it was just debilitating, he said, I want you to learn the sufficiency of my grace and that you can serve me in sickness. Now, obviously, personally, I, like you, Andrea, I, I certainly prefer a pain-free, healthy existence. But I think if we're going to take the Bible seriously and, and even more specifically, take God's individual shepherding of us seriously throughout all the phases of our life, because he is a good shepherd. Some of those seasons are just going to be times that we learn a lot more sick than we do healthy, at least if we're, if if we'll submit to, you know, to our father's wise providences in our life. So no, I, I don't, I don't want people to be sick. I, I just think there's a, an idol, if I could go one step further in our age, and it's wrapped up in a lot of the unbelieving philosophy of science and of medicine, that sickness is an anomaly, that, you know, mental issues, depression, that those are, those are degenerative in the sense that, that we should be normal, we should be ha- healthy, we should have mental health all the time. But as Christians, we recognize something that the unbelieving world does not, and then that is there's a great discontinuity between the way we were created and the world in which God created us to live and the world in which we actually do live because of the fall and because of our actual sins. And I think I said somewhere in the conference, and I, I felt kind of badly about it later, not because it was not true, but just because I don't think I set it up or developed it enough, but that actually sickness is more normal for us now than health now 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 granted the lord doesn't give us the full consequences of the fall and he's very merciful and never treats us as our sins deserve but i think mentally spiritually just in terms of our life preparation for his dealings with us the idea that he always wants me well or that i should always be well that 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 needs at least a big fat asterisk by it mm-hmm. to remind us we're fallen and the Lord is, sees our lives not only now, but throughout all eternity when he does make us well forever, but that's not now. So I don't know if that kind of answers your no, question. No, it does. And, and that's one of the things that was really beneficial for me because I'm someone who's had health challenges over the years and I've made a deliberate effort to clean up my act. You know, if you're not getting enough sleep, get more sleep. If you're eating improperly or poorly, do better. If you're not exercising or if you're exercising too much, because those can be just as bad, you can actually tear down your body. So it's not that we take those things that we know we can do and put it aside, but you made the reference to the fact that we live in a presumptuous society. So in other words, how are you feeling today? Oh, good. 
smiley face, emojis all over the place, or someone hears that someone has cancer. Oh, you'll beat this. You'll beat this. So there's this overwhelming sense of we've got all this licked and to live in this century means that anything bad, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, we can overcome it. And it makes us not look forward to what God has promised us for eternity, as opposed to this blip on the timeline of all existence that is our life. Amen. Well, you said it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I mean, I totally, I totally agree. I, I do think there is a presumption. There is, um, unrealistic expectations so that I know it's interesting. My grandmother was born in 1913 and she, you know, she told stories that death was a lot more, um, common, I guess, in the sense that it wasn't sanitized. It wasn't pushed off to, you know, a hospital where, you know, you never really saw it, but her mother uh, died, uh, when giving birth to her young, uh, her youngest sibling. She was the oldest of eight. Um, her father was killed some years later. Uh, he was a switchman on the railroad. Her brother was killed at Pearl Harbor. You know, there was sickness, disease. She lost her brother to stomach cancer. Another one died. So it, it was just interesting. She wasn't morose. She wasn't macabre. She was a believer. But she also just, I think, had a healthier sense that this life is not heaven. It's not going to be heaven. And when we think it is going to be heaven, then we start setting ourselves up for all the psychoses, um, the anxiety, um, the lack of preparedness to, you know, really take up the armor of God and to remember what the Apostle Paul told all the churches after, you know, as he's returning from his first missionary journey, that it's through many tribulations that we enter God's kingdom. And so as Christians, we're part of this, you know, healthcare system with a God complex that doesn't believe in God, but believes that it can solve all of these issues. And it's easy for us to just imbibe that uncritically instead of saying, hey, I'm very thankful that, you know, we live where we have in a time where we have these, these opportunities, many medicines, many treatments that they didn't have you know, in, in generations past, but let's still remember that these things don't negate the fallenness of life. And they certainly don't negate that one of God's main works in the life of the believer is to throw our faith in the fire. And, you know, as he says in first Peter one, seven, first Peter four, 12, I believe, don't think it's strange concerning these fiery trials. And the problem is we get so caught up into the uh, believing some of our own shtick in terms of secularism and what we can do and what man can do that if something happens, it knocks us off our, it knocks us off our bicycle. And we're like, I, I, why did this happen to me? Why did God do this to me? And I think I was simply suggesting that maybe a better approach is not that we go through life expecting the hammer to fall because he never treats us as our sins deserve. But if we're walking closely with him, you know, as believers, then there's going to be that sense of this. There's things coming up that he's going to put me through. He hasn't told me about them right now. It could be familial, financial, could be health, any number of things. But I, I, I don't need to let that throw me off and think, well, God doesn't love me or something's, you know, particularly wrong, you know, with me or he hates me or something. No, I, I'm fallen. I need sanctifying. 
And the Lord has purposes to work out that, like Job learned, I'm just going to put my hand upon my mouth and be quiet before him. Right. And I particularly liked what you had to say about Job because, and I use Job an awful lot when I'm counseling people and, you know, we all have our days. Some days are better than others. And let's face it, we don't necessarily like everything that comes our way. If the washing machine breaks at the wrong time, if somebody takes the parking space and we really, I mean, these are minor things, but we don't like them. So why should we expect? But when we talk about Job, Poor Job has no idea that he's being presented as the best student on the planet, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. No, you're you're right. Yeah. He, he doesn't know that. And then he's got friends, friends, I put that in quotes, who are going to tell him exactly why he goes through this. So the first time you read the book of Job, you think, okay, at the end, God's going to explain it all. But that's not what happens. God doesn't say, okay, this is the first two chapters of this book, Job, and this is what was happening. The way you put it was, Job says to God, why is this happening? Why did this happen to me? And God answers, I'm God, you're not, be quiet. And that may seem a little cold, but really, that's right up there with fear God and keep his commandments. There's not a lot of warm fuzzies in that, but it's how we're supposed to live. Yes, and I, and I do think the warmth of that becomes, you know, as a child of God, there's several layers of this, but one of those, of course, is, you know, what the Bible teaches about us being adopted as God's children. And so there's a lot of things that we did for our children, particularly when they were younger, whether it was correction or a certain kind of training, that we didn't explain it to them necessarily. They They had to learn to comply with it. And there was an element of trust and how much more, okay, I, I don't like that I'm going through this or that my neighbor did this to me or said this or that I've got this disease or I've got this pain. I mean, you know, it, it is shocking the more believers that you talk with and, and very heartbreaking just how many believers live in some degree of physical pain, you know, all the way from annoying to debilitating on the spectrum. But at one level, I, I have to learn to, you know, bring my thoughts captive to Christ, that my father loves me and, and that I can trust in him. And Job has lights, you know, he has moments of this, even in the middle of his affliction, you know, where he says very famously, I believe it's in chapter 19, I know that my redeemer lives. Yes. And that, you know, and so he has some of those, you know, breakthroughs where faith triumphs over the affliction and over the, you know, the reproach of his friends, but, you know, we have to learn to trust the Lord. We have to basically learn our place that he knows what's better for us than we do. And also that this is his story. Our lives belong to him. And as Christians, we profess that, you know, we're bought with a price, but being bought, that means we're not our own. And since we're not our own, we don't get to order our days, the number of them, the quality of them, the money that we have while we're in them. And yes, God uses means, and I would never deny the relationship of, you know, um, obedience and blessing, you know, as a general, you know, paradigm in scripture in terms of God's covenant. But that's also, that, that also is going to be lived in the backdrop of, but every one of the sheep Jesus knows by name, Every generation of the church, he knows by name and knows what its needs are and knows where it needs to be pressed on. 
And there's just a sense in which I think part of being a sane, and I do mean sane, in the mentally balanced, not we're never going to be anxiety-free, but at least anxiety-facing and overcoming at some level, is just that sense that my father has my life exactly where he wants it. I may not like it at the moment, and there may be better days coming, and there's certainly better days coming in heaven, but right now, he has something for me right now. And I I don't think if we learn peace like that in the right now, like Jesus said, you know, in John 16, he, you know, he's about to head out to the garden and Judas has already gathered the, you know, the guards and may already be marching out from Jerusalem. And, and he, he says at that moment, my peace I give to you and all hell's about to break loose. Yes. Yeah. And yet he tells them, I give you my peace. And, you know, you, you trust me. And, and so I think a lot of this is, I know it's not, you know, you don't, it's not medical textbooks like that, but it's all wrapped up in what our expectations are about how we feel, how we have to feel, we think, in order to serve God. And even in, in the very private, just soul to God, you know, I'm in the sick bed. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm alone. Does my father love me? Oh, yes, absolutely. And he probably loves me best in those times. Um, Psalm 41, you know, the Lord talks about making our bed while we're sick. And, you know, there's a lot wrapped up in that. But there's, if nothing else, there's some intimacy. There's some, uh, he knows our ways. So anyway. No, no, you, you're making your point. In times of difficulty, for me personally, is when I find myself in prayer much more than in times when everything's going yep. swimmingly. And yes. I think that's a presumption that we can have that says, you know, um, I kind of deserve a pain-free life. I kind of deserve this. And as you pointed out earlier, that's not the case. And we don't take portions of scripture seriously. For example, you brought up 2 Corinthians 4.16 about the outward man is perishing. Well, we kind of sort of got to get our head around that one because it means we're not going to be here forever. Right. And and it means we're going to degenerate. (laughs) The verb tense there is suggestive of it, it is perishing. It's in the process of perishing. And, and again, that, that doesn't make, I mean, let, let's face it, a lot of this were influenced, you know, youth cells, sex cells, you know, the glamorous cells. No, nobody wants, you know, influencers are not ugly. And so we're all around, you know, this kind of just this culture of like Jesus described the Pharisees. It's, it's beautiful on the outside, but it, it's like a whitewashed tomb, you know, underneath it's, it's dead men bones. And I, and I think we have to remember that, that. The Lord does love us and he does give seasons of health. I mean, every day that we have a day where we don't have as much pain or we have pain we can function in or we have no pain at all, we bless him for that. That is an incredible gift and to thank him for it. But we don't forget that those, I mean, Solomon, what he wrote in Ecclesiastes, the dark days are coming, you know, unless we die suddenly of a heart attack or, you know, run over by an automobile accident. I think we just have to be real. The unbelieving world is not going to be realistic because there's no money and there's no selling with realistic expectations about the brokenness of human life. So everything has to be a fairy tale or we can't sell ads and, you know, hold up this ideal that we want everybody spending money to aspire to. 
And, and that's why at one level, this is a different thing, but I, I don't think the real Christian faith can be filmed. It's not, it's right. not something the world's going to be interested in. It, 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 it's, the, it's the battle between the, I've got this treasure, second Corinthians four, six earlier in that very chapter, but also have it in a very fragile vessel. And that, that jar of clay or fragile vessel, it, it's cracked and it's going to crack more. And at the end, it's going to crack wide open and perish, you know, unless Jesus, of course, returns. But so there is, again, I don't want to, I don't, I don't mean a despairing realism. I mean a biblical realism. And I liked that term because there are like you take the last couple of years with the whole COVID, the lockdowns, the pushing of fear, 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 and people now distrusting each other. What I've seen emerge out of that pain, and it was very painful for some, and some people actually lost loved ones or were pressured into taking something that they now regret for a variety of reasons. But in the midst of that, I think a lot of believers started saying, what is important here? Mm -hmm. And praise God that there were churches that said, what's most important is that we come together, praise God together and recognize that he's in charge and that he'll never leave us or forsake us no matter what's happening. So we don't have to send God suggestions. This is what I think you should do for me. Well, just because I think it's a great idea to be what Jesus said, thy will be done, not mine. And as you pointed out, one of the ways of describing Jesus is a man of sorrows. So if Jesus was a man of sorrows and he picked up his cross and he told us we would have to do likewise. Should we spend a lot of time throwing a tantrum saying, this isn't fair, this isn't fair? No. And, it, and it's interesting, you know, back to Job, there's a lot of sublayers in that drama. But at the end, when the Lord, he, he does tell Job, he says, he says, Job, you, you were so busy trying to tell me how righteous you were. That, and it's interesting, Job was righteous. Yes. And, and at the end, the Lord made Job's friends sacrifice through Job in kind of a priestly role, or otherwise he wasn't going to forgive them. So Job was the righteous one in this, but the Lord pointed out, you should have spent all, you should have spent your time vindicating my righteousness, that what I do by you, with you, for you, to you, upon you, that I am righteous in all of my ways, Psalm 119, 137. And again, the, the world cannot, it, it, it cannot, I mean, this, this comes out so clearly in all this, you know, the, you know, whereas on the one hand, you've got the God complex, we can cure everything. On the other hand, you've got the, you know, irrational fear complex, everybody stay home, wear 40 masks, you know, take untested shots and trust, you know, trust big pharma. And, you know, then you got Christians, you know, historically when people were sick, you know, there's a funny story about Calvin going to the plague house in Geneva because it was his time to go. And the ministers always went to take care of the sick. And they were like, no, the plague is particularly bad this year. You're not going. And they basically had to jump on him to stop him from going. And it's interesting that part of, I think part of the one, God is righteous. So if I get sick or if I am sick or if I am in pain or something happens to me, God doesn't stop being righteous. I wonder how well we know our Bibles it, or, or how much God is really the center of our lives. Or is it I have to have life like this or I can't be happy? 
instead of if my heavenly father wants this for me, it may not be immediately pleasant, but at the same time, if he wants it, it's good. And that's where the Lord brought Job, you know, with the revelation of his glory. And that's where Job was at the first. Interestingly enough, if his friends would have just stopped pecking him like a, like a hen of, like a, um, a flock of hens, you know, the Lord gave, the Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not receive evil or calamity? And I think we, we, we need, we have a, just a different view. And that's why churches stayed open. Our church was open. You know, we didn't require masks, you know, if we, and we did, we had, we had an outbreak of some real serious sickness about a year into it. We had uh, just a couple of dearly loved, you know, older members, um, and, and, and one with some other issues it died during that time, but nobody and none of their family said, okay, now let's close. No, because God is righteous. He brings this. He uses means, but he wants us worshiping him and. And he wants us trusting him and, and saying with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And, and that's why medicine in a secularist philosophy and worldview looks like it does. With no faith in God, there's no hope except in the hope that man can give with his, you know, medicines or with his promises or with his government programs. But of course, because those always turn out to be, you know, on, on sandy foundations, Man's anxiety winds up worse on the other side, which is exactly what we see two or three years later worldwide. Exactly. It's like the word of man. If you believe it, it will kill you. It will kill your hope. It will kill your sanity. It will kill your uh, semblance of reality. And I think, you know, as dark as the times are, it's also a tremendous time for Christians to do what Peter said and give a reason for that hope that's within us. Exactly. So one of the things that I've noticed is pervasive, and that is when someone is sick or debilitated in some way or suffers from something that's like a a depression or other things like that, somehow or other they think they get a free pass, and now it's okay to be nasty. It's now okay to um, decide that, you know, the most important thing right now is to focus on me as opposed to looking at, I still am required to serve the kingdom of God. And so you mentioned a woman that was very instrumental in you coming to an understanding of the importance of individuals in ministering to other people, because this woman was not your, I don't know, put together, altogether person who was going to tell everybody why you should believe God. Yeah. So when we were, when we were young, my, my dad took us to, um, what I call a real nursing home, uh, not very clean, not very well lit. A lot of very, very poor people were there. And so this was probably now 45 years ago. And there was a woman there. Her name was Esther Daniel. And I think I was about seven years old. And the first time that I met her, it was a little bit shocking because she was the first blind woman that I had ever met. What was also interestingly interesting and a little bit shocked, she was 103, so I'm sure she's passed into glory uh, a long time ago, or she'd be in the Guinness Book of World Records. But she had been blind from birth, and basically because her family and everybody, you know, was dead and didn't know what to do with or didn't know what to do with her, she lived in this nursing room nursing home in the kitchen, in a closet in the kitchen that couldn't have been more than maybe eight by eight, nine by nine, just a very teeny. And yet every time we 
went to see this woman, and I probably saw her, I don't know, 20 times, maybe 25. All she wanted to do, at least at the start, was she wanted to sing Amazing Grace, and she wanted to talk about the Lord Jesus and all that he meant to her. And I, I think that just, that left a huge impression upon me. And I'm, I, I pray that it leaves a, a much larger impression as I get older, that I don't have to feel good to serve the Lord, that I, I don't have to have a storybook life or, you know, all your finances. I mean, th- th- these are, let me say it like this. So in Psalm 17, and then, and then in Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the Lord makes the point that he gives the children of this world their good things in this life, but he oftentimes gives his own children much less of those good things, and he treats them a lot more firmly, and he throws their faith in the fire, almost as if there's there's just a cosmic drama going on it's not just my personal drama it's he's showing to angels he's showing to all men everywhere this is the power of my grace in these weak weak vessels whose outward man is perishing um, crushed in pain and yet this is what i can do so even in ministering like that to, to get back to your original point yeah i mean modern uh, particularly mental health care it it but physical too, you know, you, you, you got to give thought to you, you know, number one. Whereas the Bible, you know, if you read Psalm 42, Psalm 77, you know, the scripture is very honest about dealing with, you know, when our spirit is overwhelmed within us. And, you know, in Psalm 77, it speaks of a howling soul that can't sleep, insomnia, can't talk, can't express itself, so maybe like a catatonic state at some level or just such what we would label today as a severe depression that you're just incommunicative the bible knows of these things these things are not like i can't believe these things these people these things do happen to people and they can happen to godly people and at one level the remedy is still hope in god Uh, that's a command Uh, i think it was a hifil imperative in the hebrew in both psalm 42 5 and 45 uh, 42 11 hope in god Set your hope in God. Don't look at yourself. Don't wear your pink ribbon. I'm an overcomer and walk the street, you know, as if the disease is an enemy. You hope in God. Look to him. And and, and yet so much of modern thinking, it does turn the sufferer back on himself. And, you know, as has often been observed, the source of the problem cannot be the source of the solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when we are pursuing health in the sense that we want to make good lifestyle choices, you're saying it's not an end in itself. It becomes a means of better service, but also one needs to say, God has the final say. Even if you go in and you get a surgery, God's the one who healed you. It's not the man who, you know, made the incisions and took something out or put something in that we really have to have a biblical view that says who's in control and am I relying on him enough or might he give me circumstances where I'll learn that lesson better? Well, he, he, he sure will. Um, I, I you know, the, back to Esther Daniels, I, I knew her when she was 103. Now I, I don't know how many years the Lord 
She may have gone through seasons of great bitterness. Obviously, somebody lives that long. You could have decades of bitterness. I, I don't know. But, you know, there is a real sense in which I think health is not an end, like you said, in itself. If God gives me health, he wants me praising him. Um, I think David says, maybe it's in Psalm in the late 20s, early 30s, um, he talks about weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And then he concludes, you know, to the end that my that my glorying would give praise unto you and not be silent. So, you know, if we are healthy, just like when we're sick, but if he gives us health, we, we should be praising him, thanking him, looking for more opportunities to serve him and to tell everyone how good and kind and faithful he is. So it's very different from you know, I want my best life now. You know, yeah. I want my best body now. I, you know, very, very humanistic, very man-focused motives, shall we say. And so we elevate things, as you said earlier, like health and youth. Uh, I can't, I, I always like teasing people when I tell them how old I am and they say, oh, you don't look that old. And I'm like, okay, how old is that supposed to look? Right? <laughs> Just tell me, you know. <laughs> Why did we to subtract five years? And so that's what I really look like. So we are bombarded with, <laughs> you know, take this pill and you'll feel better, etc. But I'm thinking even in Jesus's parables, there's a lot of suffering in those parables that then manifest the goodness of those who obey God. So the parable of the Samaritan, certainly without the guy being beaten up and left for dead, not a pleasant set of circumstances, might he um, have appreciated more the providence of God and the help of someone who was obeying God or the prodigal son who I imagine by the time you're not getting a chance to eat what pigs get to eat, there might be some depression involved. Right. So it, it's when we, you know, take inventory and say, what is this about? As soon as we say, it's not about me, then we can put our focus outward to the living God. Yeah. And I think that really begins with our theology, you know, from the standpoint of grace is not amazing. If holiness is not terrifying <laughs> and, and, and so we can sing a lot. And that's one of the reasons grace has been so cheap and, you know, grace is just being kind to people and accepting them the way they are. When in the Bible, grace is exactly the opposite. The, the glory of grace is that it takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of of God's son and it's God's settled kindness. So yes, there's a there's a sense in which you know as we as we think about you know those seasons of sickness or seasons of health and that we can do good to others and help them. It is it is magnifying um the character of God. God does love his people. He loves to give health. It's not that he's stingy. But it's also that this life is not heaven and, and we don't always know how that's going to balance out, you know, in an individual life. You might, you know, you or I might look at our lives and think, well, we're a lot sicker than so and so over there, but the Lord might have given them other aspects of the fall or the curse that they've got to deal with more, you know, than we do. So in some respects, we're all dependent upon, you know, God's grace and God's strength or, um, or we're not going to be able to serve him. But of course, this is all lost on the unbelieving mindset and, and the unbelieving soul because, you know, as it says in Ephesians 4, the understanding is darkened. Uh, they're alienated from the life of God. 
So there's, you know, they're dominated by the fear of death. That's something that we don't, I think, really take seriously. I think a lot of modern entertainment, a lot of modern science, because it wants to, well, we can conquer death. You know, death is the last frontier and we can, and we just, but, but the Bible says that, 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 you know, Hebrews 2.14, that, you know, Satan enslaves men with this fear of death and that only Christ delivers them from it. So a lot of the furor about staying young and, you know, 95 year olds lifting weights. Okay. Fine. If, if you're 95 and you can lift weights, bless God for it. But, you're not going to not die because you do that. And, and because death is the wages of sin. And I, I think, uh, one of the things that I was trying to bring out, I guess, in my part of the, like you say, the uh, unenviable time slot of, of <laughs> nine 30 on Friday morning was that we just need to take our theology seriously when we apply it to health, not only in the abstract, but also in the very personal that if he gives us health, bless him for it. If he gives us sickness, bless him for it. Wait on him and know that he has good purposes. And like you said earlier, Andrea, he may not always tell us why. I don't know that until Job got to heaven, if even then he ever knew what the devil was trying to do to him. Or if he even cared at that point. <laughs> yeah, or if he even cared. It didn't, yeah, good point. It didn't even matter. You right. know, what, what counted was, I've seen you. I lay my hands upon my mouth. I repent in dust and ashes. Yes. So one of the things you also pointed out, and this has certainly been true in my life experience, that part of the um, a byproduct of suffering or um, having maladies that don't go away all the time develops compassion in you. You can feel mm. things for other people that maybe the average person can't. So I, I lost my mom when she, when I was still in grammar school. And, um, so I'm sensitive to people in that situation because I have real life experience on what it's like and not having my own mother present when I became a mother was like, it just really would be nice to be able to ask this question mm -hmm. to someone who raised me. And I wasn't the easiest of children, so I'm sure she might have laughed when I had some difficulties with a particular child at the time. But the compassion that came out of that, it's not like, well, I wish I didn't have that compassion. It's God gave me that journey, and that's what I got. And praise God, something came out of it that's very useful. So I believe it's in Second Corinthians 1 when Paul opens up in verse three of chapter one. He says, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So your point is, yes, the, the, um, when the Lord heals us, we ought to be in a little bit better place to sympathize with those who were sick. Um, I lost my dad when I was 16. He was, he was shot in Vietnam and he, he did live for about 10 years, 15 years after his injury. But so I, I feel that, yeah, as an adult, I didn't have my own father, but I had other people like you have said who, who comforted me. And then I've been able to pass that on. It's interesting that the next verse of that adds, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. 
I think there's something specific here we need to remember. It's not just so that we can put our arms around another human being as important, you know, as that is Jesus touched the leper. It's so that as Christians, that in some powerful way that we part of our union with him, we become a partaker, not of his redemptive sufferings in that sense, because our our sufferings are not atoning and, and tied to, you know, a sacrifice like his were. But at the same time, we, we become more identified with him um, when we know, as you referenced, the man of sorrows. And so in becoming more identified, oh, my Savior, who's been tempted in every way like as he had been, as, as I've been, he knows pain. He knows betrayal. He took all of our diseases upon himself. He would not allow himself to have an emotional barrier between himself and the sufferers, but he took it all on himself. And so where is my suffering coming from then? My suffering is, uh, excuse me, my, my comfort is coming from Christ who's already gone through these things so that then the comfort that I give is also a very specifically Christian comfort of leading people, encouraging our brothers and sisters in Christ, but even evangelistically toward the lost, that your comforter is Christ by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just that, you know, hey, better days are coming. We've all gone through hard things. You know, plug up your nerve. It'll all pass soon. No, because it may not. And, And it's that the Lord Jesus, who took upon himself our flesh and was was tempted and tried and cried and learned obedience by his sufferings, we learn our we we real comfort comes from him and in and in taking our cares, taking our pain, taking our brokenness to him. And then when he comforts us with his word, with the Holy Spirit, who powerfully, powerfully comes and can sustain even the most you know, broken and diseased, we're then able to pass on. Oh, no, no, it was Jesus who comforted me. There's no comfort in me. I, I face this all the time as as a pastor and, you know, you're around a lot of suffering and, and th- these have been a challenging couple, three years, whatever you, you know, believe about, you know, COVID, that p- people need, we're needy people. We, we need comfort. And the comfort is not in, you know, a mask or a, a white coated specialist. The ultimate comforter is the one whom God sent down from heaven. Yes. And then when I know him, then by the Holy Spirit and with his help, I can then point other people to that so that they can also be comforted by him and he can receive all the praise because the whole flow of history is that he must have the preeminence in all things, including the comfort that I receive when I'm sick dying, disease, whatever it may be. Exactly. When we're told, be still and know that God is God. And that means that God has a time frame. And so many times we want to hurry the Lord's hand. Well, the way I look at it, and I really got to thinking about that after hearing your talk, is if today I'm going to get $100, but I'm patient and I wait till the end of the month. And now I'm going to get $10 million, but I'm like, no, no, I have to have it today. I, you have to give me, you know, we, we can sometimes decide what we think is enough when God really wants to give us so much more than we could ever imagine. And I think that, uh, 
a good example, and we'll probably close on this just because I know your time is valuable. When you talk about the woman in Matthew 5.26, I mean, this poor woman had been hemorrhaging for 12 years and had spent everything that she had to try to get it fixed and it didn't fix. What if it had gotten fixed in year two? What that encounter <laughs> with the living God, right? You know, so I, I think that we really have to come to terms with the day of our conception wasn't in our control. The day we finally came into the world, our birthday wasn't our control. And there is a death day. There's 365 days in a year. So guess what? One of those days is going to be the day in which we cease to be here. So instead of trying to manage everything, that's why one of the fruits of the spirit is patience, because patience sort of acknowledges we're not writing the story. It's already been written, and we really wouldn't want to change a thing. Amen. I couldn't say it any better. Um, Well, you helped me come to that understanding, especially when you (laughs) talked about the woman, because um, her healing was not just for her. It was for us as well. So if she had been healed by her doctor, we wouldn't have that story to look back to. No, we, we weren't. And you know, that, that it also points out, you know, something interesting about her that, and again, I, I want to be careful because to kind of tie off, I think maybe one of your first questions, there's nothing wrong with pursuing health. It is interesting. You know, you have Asa and Hezekiah, Asa, Started out well, and the Bible does say he was a, a righteous king like his father David. But as he moved on, there seemed, you know, there was a lot of pride there, and he did a lot of things that are very, very questionable. And I think probably, you know, the Lord afflicted him with his disease. But when he was diseased, he sought the physicians and he didn't seek the Lord. Hezekiah, he was also, you know, later, of course, but Hezekiah was diseased. And he, he sought the Lord first. And it, it's interesting that the woman, we, we, I don't know her spiritual state, but somehow she heard about Jesus somehow in her unclean, isolated, lonely place, unclean place. She determined that she's going to crawl to him and touch the hem of his garment. Um, but I, it, it's, it's interesting there. And I just point this out that there's a healing that's not a full healing. And so I think of all those who are cured today by modern science or they're still cured by God, but that, you know, their hope was in the science. Their hope was in the doctor and they're healed. But it's interesting that this woman whom the Lord obviously loved and will meet her in heaven, he had her turn back around because I, I don't think she wanted to, obviously she didn't want to draw any attention to herself, but he had her turn back around. And tell everybody what had happened to her because her full healing consisted in far more than having her, you know, her gynecological issues resolved. She needed to be healed by being brought back into the community. She needed to be healed by being considered clean again and basically pronounced that way by the Lord. She needed to be healed by telling her story so that she wouldn't be embarrassed about it and so that she could praise the Lord openly. And that's what's missing in modern medicine, because when you take God out of the equation, at the end of the day, why am I being healed? Well, very selfishly, so that I can go live my own little sinful life and be my own God and have what I want. And that is a very shallow, narcissistic, twisted 
healing. The real healing is, yes, there's a physical component of it, but that it's when my soul is healed before the Lord and I'm at peace with him and I know his love for me and that I can praise him for his goodness. And so this is, I think, our kind of our discipleship slash evangelism marching orders in our, you know, very sick and, 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 and dying nation that there is a physician who, who heals men body and soul. Sin's not just this little anomaly, you know, on the radar. It's a reminder to us of how much we need whole, sold whole life healing. Very good. And that's why I wanted you on the podcast. I thought you had a lot to say, and I'm grateful that my listeners get to hear it. Um, I imagine there may be some, usually is the case, who would like to uh, find out more about you and your ministry and the things that you do. How would they get in touch with you? What are the pertinent things about Pastor Chris Strevel that they should know? Oh, I, I've been, I don't know what the pertinent things are. Our, our church website, if you look up Covenant Presbyterian Church in Buford, Georgia, I don't remember. I know it's terrible, but I don't remember the website. I don't, other people kind of thankfully, mercifully handle that. But, um, I've been here for, I guess, over 30 or almost 30 years now and, uh, just trying to grow in grace myself. And, um, of course, we've got a lot of recordings of, sermons and Sunday school and whatnot. And if you're in the area, we'd love for you to come worship with us. We have youth and adult and prayer meetings and fellowship. So um, the Lord's been very kind to put us in a little corner of his vineyard over here. So we would love for you to come and and, and see us if you're in the area. Very good. And uh, like I said at the outset, put in Chris Strevel or Chris, I think you're Christopher Strevel on the Calcedon website. And you can look at some of the people can look at some of the articles that you wrote. Thank you, Andrea. Well, thank you for joining me and listeners. As always, you can comment on this or make suggestions for future podcast out of the question podcast at gmail.com is how you do it. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.